Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. Uh, Today, Eric Fawcett from GatorCountry.com and I will join me. We will talk Florida, Nevada. We will talk brackets. We will break down um, the game Thursday night in Iowa as comprehensively as we can for you. Uh, The Gators making their third consecutive NCAA AA tournament appearance, joining Kentucky as the only SEC programs to do that. It's Florida's eighth NCAA tournament appearance this decade. Um, And Mike White becomes the first coach in Florida history to qualify for the NCAA tournament three times in his first four years at the school. Um, So, you know, certainly something to be proud of there. Although the Gators, you know, at at Florida, the idea is to not just get to the tournament, um, but but to stay a little while. So the Gators are going to try to see if they can do that this season. Um, Last year, heartbreak in the second round. We'll see if they can avoid heartbreak in the first round here as a lower-seeded team taking on Nevada. I thank everybody that's listened to the show this year. If it's your first time listening, um, go ahead and you know go to iTunes and, and give us a rating if you want. Um, send us listener questions at Florida BB Hour on Twitter. Uh, you can always find me on Twitter too, Neil Blackman. So um, I just appreciate the fact that you guys uh, have listened and supported the show. Um, thanks, and enjoy our preview. Hey, everybody. It's me, Neil Blackman. I'm with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. We are going to talk about Florida uh, being invited to the NCAA tournament. Um, basically, the last bubble team announced. Uh, not basically. They, they were the last bubble team announced, uh, which was somewhat horrifying there for a minute. And uh, But they're in. They're going to go to Des Moines, Iowa, and they will play uh, Nevada, the Nevada Wolfpack. Uh, Eric Musselman's transfer university who uh, won a lot of basketball games. Didn't they, Eric, your initial thoughts on the matchup? I, I mean, they did win a lot of basketball games, but probably not as many as, as a lot of people expected. Um, and that's, that's funny to say for a 29 and four uh, Nevada <laughs> team, but yeah, it's just kind of interesting. Like looking at the kind of college basketball picture on a whole, if you look at the preseason, whenever was putting out there, their top 25s and their preseason final fours. Uh, there's two kind of mid-major situations that occurred where some people were saying like, oh yeah, like Loyola Chicago has got to be in the top 25. They, um, they bring back some guys that were on this final four team. Um, some people had them in, you know, their top 15. Some people had them just in the top 25. And then uh, we know that that season did not go very well for them at all. They didn't even sniff the 25 at any point. Um, and then there was a lot of people who thought Nevada, who was bringing back all their pieces from an elite A run, um, that thought that they should be the, that they should be like a, a, a Final Four pick early. And there was a lot of people who's kind of preseason Final Four pick. And, uh, you know, look at them now. They're a seventh seed. So uh, I would say the one thing that can be taken from that is, yeah, they probably have more talent than, uh, than your average seventh seed, I would say. Uh, any team that was um, not, even, not even a preseason Final Four pick, in some people's minds, you know, it was, it was a lot of people's minds. Like it wasn't just like a, it wasn't yeah. just like a, a couple of people slipping it in as a, as a, a as a wild card kind of uh, throwing it out there. It was like, Oh yeah. A lot of people were just like, Hey, this team is bringing back a lot of pieces from a team that made a deep run. And uh, it's added a five star in, uh, in Trey Porter, big man. And um, even added some more transfers. And um, yeah, so uh, this, this team's really talented and uh, it's really old. Uh, obviously they have a lot of seniors that are, 
um, you know, transfer seniors. And as some, as you know, a couple of people have pointed out this year, uh, their their starting lineup has a is an older average starting lineup than the Phoenix Suns. Um, so that's uh, something that's pretty crazy. Is this college team is uh, uh, has a bunch of twenty three year olds um, starting. And there's yeah, there's a lot of NBA teams that are starting <laughs> a lot a lot of younger players. So yeah, um, they're, they're I mean, they're twenty three point five is the average age. So uh, by almost, by almost uh, point, by almost point six, they're the, uh, they're the oldest team in college basketball. Yeah, that's crazy. And, uh, and just by like, yeah, Ken Palm's got their experience metric. They're, they're second in, in experience. I mean, that's uh, the first is Hartford and the third is Jacksonville state. So, I mean, it's a lot of, a lot of just um, uh, traditional low majors and then obviously Nevada. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty interesting just in terms of the fact that this is just not a normal college basketball team. Yeah, they're not. Um, and let's, let's kind of talk about roster construction. I mean, Eric already mentioned it. I mentioned it. it it's a team full of transfers. Um, they basically play six players, which we'll get to what that means a little later, I guess. I, I'm pretty sure. Um, but they're all seniors, the guys that play. Uh, and they do sometimes play a seventh player who's not a senior, but but by and large, the six players that they play predominantly are, are seniors and they're kind of positionless, aren't they? Cause they're almost, almost to a person uh, other than jazz Johnson, who they bring off the bench to hit Jared Harper shots. Um, <laughs> they're pretty much, it's like six, seven. And then Trey Porter is, is the big, who's the rim protector. Right. I said, I said, I said he was a five-star man. Jordan Brown knows by that, but yeah, like you said, positionless, um, they start um uh, a lot of times they start the twins, uh, Caleb and Cody Martin in the backcourt, which uh, those are two guys that are six foot seven. Um, <laughs> so that's uh, that says something right there. So yeah, they they uh, and I mean when they look at Florida's kind of size in the perimeter, I'm pretty sure they're going to be rolling out this lineup of of uh, we'll probably see Cody and Caleb Martin, two six foot seven guys in the backcourt, and probably like Jordan Caroline, six foot seven and small forward, and and Treshawn Thurman, who I don't know what he's listed at, but uh, he seems like he plays pretty big to me. Uh, and uh, he's six seven. Yeah. Okay. There you go. I, I would say even plays bigger than that, but uh, just even just the fact that yeah, they're going to roll out a lot of that size, and um, and that's kind of yeah the way that they the way that they play is, is kind of positionless. Um, I would say a lot goes through through Cody Martin. I would it's definitely kind of the primary ball handler to me, but uh, yeah, especially kind of from a defensive standpoint, they're just going to switch everything, and and uh, this is something Neil's going to talk about a little more, but yeah, defensively they're just going to switch everything. They're going to probably keep. Uh, one foot close to the paint, everyone on the floor, and, and they'll force you to shoot three-point shots because uh, they just want to use that light to keep you away from the hoop. Yeah, let's start with let's start with defense. I mean, that's kind of one of the things I was going to talk about, and and, and Eric brought it up. Uh, that yeah, I mean they they're hard to play against defensively. It's a it's I think they're in the thirties. I didn't look at the I wrote I didn't write down the specific number. I looked at it, but they're in the thirties in in Ken Palm defici- defensive efficiency. So. You know, we're talking about a high-level defensive basketball team. Uh, they do switch everything, and because they're positionless and because they're all six-seven, pretty much, um, that makes it really complicated. Because they'll force three-point shots, which is fine if you can make three-point shots. Except the problem is that um, you kind of see an example of this, like when Villanova plays, is when you can switch everything, you can kind of prevent open three-pointers, right? Because you don't have to rotate defensively as much. Um, so I think that's kind of uh, one advantage to it. Um, and, and the other thing is, um, you know, 
you can set a lot of off balls, a lot of off ball screens to, to make the switching harder to execute. But because they're all the same size, that also complicates it a little bit. Now, I don't want to get too much into that because Eric's going to talk about some of the offensive stuff in this game. But I think, um, you know, that's that's one thing that's that's complicated about it anyway. But the point being, if you have guys that can guard as many positions as Nevada has, then it's ideal for these switching defenses. It's one of the reasons that when Florida switches a lot, you know, that's kind of what Florida wants to do identity-wise defensively a lot, I think, Eric. And, and it's been harder – until they get more wings on campus, which next year I think Florida will be more successful in that, which is kind of a funny thing to say since Florida is so good defensively anyway. But just from a personnel standpoint, um, you know, we've talked a lot this season about how Kavarius Hayes kind of cleans up some of the personnel deficiencies because he's so elite defensively. Nevada's not really like that. There's not like – I don't think there's one guy that stands out necessarily as a super elite defender. Cody Martin averages a steal and a half a game, which is – that's pretty good. Um, but, uh, the Martin twins aren't the quickest. So, you know, they have the size, they have the length, but sometimes you can get around them. The problem is, and, and this is one of the keys to the game maybe is, is that Florida doesn't really have those types of guys that, that can conquer those guys. Um, in terms of their roster construction, you know, we'll, we'll get into that a little more, but, but I wanted to let Eric kind of chime in on, on what Nevada does defensively other than stuff that I mentioned. Yeah, you mentioned something that I think is really important, and that's that these Martin twins are not that athletic. Um, they're big, but they're not really quick moving their feet side to side. And I am going to go and say it. I do think that this team is not very good defensively, and I know that their number is 33rd in Ken Palm, and I know that it's an adjusted number, so it does you know factor in for their competition. But I do think that those these Ken Palm numbers can be inflated by these teams that play in kind of the like second-tier leagues like um, – uh, like the American a couple years ago and, and the Atlantic 10 in the Mountain West. Um, just because, yeah, I watch them play and I, I just don't think they're great defensively. And I, I, one thing, too, that I'm still a little bitter about is um, when Nevada and Love was at an all-time high last year, um, everyone's just like, oh, yeah, like they're just like an NBA team. They just switch everything and it's awesome. And, I, and you know, like they were like 130 <laughs> in Ken Palm last year in defense. And I just I, – I feel like switching unnecessarily is just like – people just look like, oh, versatility. And I think people – kind of look at versatility and they think that they kind of use it synonymously with quality and just because you've got versatile defensive players does not mean you necessarily have elite defensive players so um yeah they they can kind of get beaten by um by guys who can go one-on-one that was something um just this morning i watched uh, so one thing that was just kind of weird about nevada is that they lost twice to san diego state um and that's out of their out of their four losses yeah two of them were to san diego state it was you know not a great basketball team not a tournament team so i was pretty intrigued by that um, so watching that, like, yeah, like you can turn the corner on, on the Martin twins if you've got speed. Like, I think that it's something that um, if Kayvon Allen is, is kind of locked in and um, has that desire to to get his shoulder kind of into the body of, of Martin and get that first kind of step turning the corner, I think he can get by him. And, um, and Jalen Hudson, who, I mean, I say this with a little bit of hesitancy as he's kicked the ball around a bit trying to drive the basketball the last few games, um, but uh, he's someone who should be able to get by the Martin twins. Um, and also, fun note, uh, Jalen Hudson also played AAU basketball with both of the Martin twins, something I learned yesterday. I didn't know that. But um, they <laughs> played AAU with those two guys, for those who didn't know. So, um, yeah, so I, I do think they're a little bit vulnerable to um, uh, to just kind of the fact that they do have these kind of slower guys. I just know that Florida's not the best team at scoring in isolation and scoring off the dribble. So um, that doesn't perfectly fit into Florida's, um, <laughs> to Florida's kind of deficiencies slash strengths. 
And uh, yeah, I think that Nevada's going to let you shoot some jump shots that, like Neil mentioned, are not wide open jump shots, um, but aren't yeah, kind of those like B, B minus three point looks that are like kind of open, decent shots that you're like, oh yeah, those are good shots to take, but just are not not so totally open. And, and part of that is the way that um, they kind of switch and that kind of just usually leaves guys at kind of the four perimeter positions that are usually close enough to contest a shot. And also just because, yeah, they've got length, but uh, I, I don't think this is a team as good as even their kind of 33rd um, ranking on Ken Palm thinks defensively. Um, I, I think Florida's played a whole lot better defensive teams this year. And um, though Florida hasn't always had success against them, um, I, 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 that part of the game doesn't, um, you know, I, I mean, it concerns me a little bit because Florida has gone cold against lots of different qualities of defenses this year. <laughs> But um, this is a Nevada team that if they're winning the basketball, if they're winning basketball games, if they're going deep in the tournament, it's their offense. It's not the defense. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so, so I think, I think that's right. And we're going to talk about their offense uh, in a minute, but, but one thing I'll add, and, and the reason I think that it's a little deceptive is that in a conference with less athletes, they're, they're still not a, you, you'd expect a team with that, that rolls out five, six, seven guys in the well, four, six, seven guys and a six eleven guy in their starting lineup. You'd expect them to control the glass, I think. And it kind of speaks to the lack of athleticism of the Martin twins and the fact that Jordan Caroline is an average to plus. Well, he's a good athlete. Jordan Caroline is probably we're going to talk about him, I'm sure, more. But but the rest of that team, uh, you know, they're not a very good defensive rebounding team. They're 238th in defensive rebounding. They're even worse offensive rebounding. Um, and Florida has two plus offensive rebounders. Well, one really good one and one who's become a very good one in Keontae Johnson and Kavari says. So, you know, I think Florida would have, will have the chance to, to generate some second chances on offense, which has been huge for Florida, obviously all season um, when they've been able to get offensive rebounds. Uh, you know, of course they've played better. Seems pretty obvious to say, but the other thing is like, you know, a lot of what Nevada wants to do to dictate tempo, which is where I think we can transition to their offense stems from the fact that any of those guys on their, on the floor with the exception of Trey Porter can kind of get the rebound and lead the offense down the court and transition, but they're not a great rebounding team. Yeah. That is somewhere that, uh, that Florida could have some success and um, not even, obviously yeah, if Florida can get some extra possessions, that's huge for a team. That's not the most efficient offensively. Uh, but I think a lot of it is just if they can, um, if they can even just uh, contest some of those balls coming off the rim just so that, uh, yeah, just so that Nevada can't get out and run. Uh, just because, as Neil said, they, they really like to thrive in transition, and I think that's one place that they can be really, really dangerous. Uh, that was definitely one of my takeaways in watching uh, San Diego State play them and beat Nevada twice, is that, uh, that San Diego State did a really, really good job of, um, of just not allowing them to, to run out in transition as soon as uh, – as soon as the ball went up, they, they did actually send one or two guys to the glass. Um, but usually their point guard uh, would go find um, Cody Martin um, just so that if they if someone like Jordan Caroline caught the ball, he couldn't have a quick outlet to um, to a Martin twin who was just uh, uh, turning and running down the court and, with numbers. So they kind of neutralized that first pass and kind of made um, they kind of made the guy rebounding the ball have to um, push it himself, which is you know still okay for Nevada. Um, but it's a lot easier for a defense to react to someone grabbing the ball and just turning and going up himself, as opposed to someone gets a defensive rebound, um, hits an outlet pass up to someone beyond the three-point line, and, uh, and then he's already gone. So uh, that's going to be big for the Gators. And I think that Florida has had 
um, had some success slowing down teams that um, want to play really fast. Um, that, that's been kind of, yeah, one of the things we've talked about this podcast. That I, I do think it's easier for teams that want to play slow to slow the game down. Um, I, I, it's easier to do that than it is for a fast team to try to speed up a slow team. Especially in the NCAA tournament. Sorry, not, not trying to interrupt. Yeah, no, that is, that is it's totally true. So that's another thing that I think is, uh, it helps Florida. Um, but yeah, if Florida, if Florida doesn't match up well and, and, and kind of communicate well in transition defense, um, yeah, they're going to allow one of the, one of the really, really good scoring teams in transition go to work. Yeah. And the good news is Florida has played really good transition defense in their last four to five basketball games. So, you know, I think that's, that's a positive. Um, but yeah, I mean, they have some lethal players in transition led by Jordan Caroline who who's hurt. Um, was held out of of their Mountain West semi uh, because of an Achilles injury. Eric Musselman, who is their uh, head coach and, and, you know, has been a head coach in the NBA, a pretty well-known guy, uh, he said that uh, – Musselman said that his, his Achilles injury has been lingering. Jordan Caroline was, uh, you know, a relatively well-recruited player. He went to Southern Illinois, played at Montverde Academy with Ben Simmons – um, so, uh, you know, Monverde, obviously the factory that, that brought Florida, Andrew Nimhart. So some familiarity certainly with, uh, with that program, if you're a Gator, Gator fan, and he's, he's kind of the, the straw that stirs the drink at, at 17 points, uh, per game. And he's really their best rebounder too. As, as good as Trey Porter has been at protecting the rim, he's kind of in that Cavarius Hayes category of like, not the greatest defensive rebounder, despite the size Caroline almost a double double a night uh his dad and why I said he's a good athlete probably their best athlete his dad is uh Simeon Rice who was an all pro defensive end um in the NFL so gives you an idea of kind of the stock <laughs> that that he comes from and and uh, certainly a, a game-changing player and you know even if he's 90 percent Florida will have their hands full Right, and I think this this kind of leads really well into just kind of my big central point about the way that uh, Nevada plays offense, and it is extremely, extremely isolation heavy, um, more so than any team I've seen in college basketball this year. There's a couple like lower majors, like like Detroit Mercy, who uh, who have guys that uh, will isolate a lot, but in terms of you know higher caliber uh, college basketball, Nevada just isolates more than more than anyone else, and pretty much all their actions um, offensively, which I don't think are usually great and usually just are a lot of just like false action to try to occupy help defenders. It just all ends with wanting an isolation for, um, for Cody Martin um, or Jordan Caroline, who I think is kind of the more um, a little bit more physical when he drives the basketball and then um, makes for some challenges for, for kind of teams that don't have the size on the wings to guard them. And for even, Florida, even Trayshawn, even Trayshawn Thurman, sorry, even Trayshawn Thurman is a guy who can kind of break you down off the dribble. Right. They're comfortable with him facing you up and doing that. So it's really, it's a great point. Yeah. And they'll use him in the post too, Thurman. So, and that's the thing too, is they'll actually, they'll actually post up a lot too, just because like they want one-on-one matchups versus kind of smaller players and whether it's the wing or the perimeter and, and that is, or, or sorry, the wing or, or inside it that's one thing that is kind of interesting slash concerning for the Gators is when they've got uh, multiple six foot seven guys that are looking to post up smaller guards or drive smaller guards off the perimeter. Uh, there's going to be some challenges for Kayvon Allen and some challenges for Noah Locke when he's on the floor and some challenges for Andrew Demhart. And uh, what, so I'm really interested to see how Florida guards just this like isolations and isolations and isolations. Cause a lot of them are going to come from the top. And I wonder if Florida is going to use kind of that, 
switching kind of matchup-y zone um, where Andrew Nemhard kind of stays in the top a lot of the time. Um, if they do that and just make Andrew Nemhard guard tons of, you know, Cody Martin isolations, or if they're going to, um, if they're going to just try to, you know, play a little bit more without switching and, and stay on their bed, but that might require uh, Noah Locke or someone like that, or, or, or Jalen Hudson having to guard one-on-one. And um, yeah, I'm just really interested to see what they do with that. Yeah, me too. Um, and, and I think it, I think you're probably looking at that, that sort of matchup zone, maybe with a bunch of, I don't know a bunch, but I think Florida will switch some uh, defenses, particularly when Jazz Johnson's on the floor, who's like the one guy they run actions for, right? Shoots 46% um, <laughs> from three-point range. And I think it's kind of key to their team, especially if Jordan Caroline is a little limited. Because like I said, I mean, they play six guys. They're all seniors they sort of play a seventh guy who isn't, but that's pretty much it. You know, you know what you're going to get with them um, from an offensive perspective, and they're just confident in their ability to beat you one-on-one. What I'll say about that is something that Eric alluded to earlier that, you know, they went to the sweet 16, get a basket away from the elite eight. Right. And you'd think that they'd have had some higher level games this season. They played two quad one games. So, it's hard to know how masterful that offense is too uh, against really good teams. Florida, by contrast, played 17 quad one games and won four of them. Uh, <laughs> but so Florida won more quad one games than, than Nevada played, uh, which none of this is to say that Nevada doesn't have really great pieces offensively, right, Eric? It's just to say that, you know, some of this, that there's some questions in terms of, how good it is, you know, how good are the Martin twins against elite teams, uh, especially elite defenses, which Florida is. And I think secondarily, um, how does that six man rotation work again in really big games? Um, we don't really know that, you know, you're really relying on seniors to not get in foul trouble and things of that nature. Yeah. I think like, like you said, like um, in terms of their offense, I I just really don't think they run very much interesting stuff. Like from a scouting standpoint, I, they do, they're just so isolation heavy that there's not a lot of complex actions to to kind of run. And, and, you know, like I, there seems to be some people who just absolutely love Eric Musselman and then some people who just like are kind of like, don't really care for him. I'm kind of like in the middle where I, uh, <laughs> uh, like, I mean, cause what, cause again, they've, they've had some success running this, uh, running these offensive systems by just isolating kind of these weaker teams that they keep going against. Um, but watching the play, I mean, there's nothing very inspired about their offense. It's, uh, it's just dribble handoff, dribble handoff, dribble handoff, clear out one-on-one. Um, let's uh, throw the ball to the wing, have Caleb Martin or Cody Martin, um, go pretend someone's setting a down screen for them that no one believes they're going to take. Um, pops back out. Um, a big man pops out for a potential three, so they can clear out for a nice late. Like it's 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 pretty. Um, like, like I mean, from a scouting standpoint, I, I don't think that there's much complex stuff for it. Really needs to figure out. Um, but yeah, they've got these really really good one on one plays, and it's pretty tough. You know, you can scout all you want against against the team, but uh, if they can just beat you one on one over and over and over again. Um, it's really tough to it's really tough to handle them. Just uh, look at kind of the the Mississippi State game where Florida played, where um, they just uh, you know Mississippi State ran some offense and it was good, but their best offense was just being able to beat the Gators off the dribble. And the first Auburn game, um, kind of the same thing. Uh, Auburn ran some good stuff, but in that first game, it just seemed like they they just didn't even have to run any of it because if you can just beat a man off the dribble and make the defense scramble, um, 
yeah, that's kind of the best offense there is in basketball. I know some people disagree with me, but I mean, if you can, if you can just beat your man off the dribble, make help come and, and find the open man. I mean, that's as good as any offense you can run if you can do it. And uh, one thing I thought was really interesting, I just looked it up as Neil was talking, um, just to see how much zone Nevada has played against. Um, and, and Nevada's actually played against a ton of zone. Um, they played yeah. against zone 35% <laughs> of the time, which is a lot. Like I would say, I don't have the exact number for this, but just looking at a lot of team sheets for, um, um, for just kind of like, you know, power, power conference teams at least, which I know Nevada isn't, but um, a lot of them kind of see maybe like 15% of zone teams playing, you know, maybe roughly 10 or 15% zone, I would say at the, at the higher levels. And yeah, um, Nevada has played against 35% zone and they've, uh, their numbers are really, really similar to, um, uh, to when they play against man, like they're, um, yeah, they shoot 45% against man. They shoot 46.1 against zone. Um, they shoot a slightly higher um, effective field goal percentage against zone because of the threes that you're, you're they're likely getting. Um, they turn the ball over a little bit more against man, but not a ton. Um, they do get fouled a lot more playing against man defense. But, but yeah, a lot of these numbers are, are pretty similar between man and zone. And um, I, I, yeah, so I don't know how much um, I don't think Florida's really going to surprise them with any zone because they, they've seen a lot of zone this year, uh, but it still might be Florida's best option. Yeah, it, it may be. Um, we mentioned Jazz Johnson is kind of the guy that, that they'll run some actions for to, to that point that the uh, number of his three point shots that are assisted is 86%, which is a pretty high percentage. Wow. 45.2% um, of those our three point field goals. Now, not all those 86 come off actions, obviously, because they drive and kick, like Eric said, and part of the, the deal with isolation, isolation offenses. If you get in the paint, you can, you can kick the shooter. So Florida has to be disciplined in their help defense, just like they had to be disciplined in their help defense against Auburn. And then hope that, you know, you don't get in a situation where you got a Jared Harper. One thing I'll say that's distinct though, is that Auburn shoots the three point shot better. Yes. Um, just factually, because um, it is a decent offensive comparison. Because um, you know Bruce Pearl loves to attack mismatches, and and you know certainly Eric Musselman likes to attack mismatches. Um, but Caleb Martin, you know, sixty-seven percent of his makes are three-point shots, or I'm sorry, sixty-seven percent of his shots taken are three-point shots. So two out of three times he shoots, it's a three-pointer, but. He only makes 34%, which isn't great. It's kind of in that Kayvon Allen, like, okay territory. And he has games where he's really erratic. So he'll have games where he's a microwave, and he'll have games, you know, if it sounds familiar, it's because it's true. (laughs) Um, So, you know, he can have these sort of erratic nights uh, shooting the ball. And the same thing uh, holds true for for Jordan Caroline, although he shoots at a higher percentage at 38%. Um, and he's another guy that they really like to, to you know, drive and kick to. Um, and 87% of his three-point makes are, are assisted. So they're two kind of most lethal three-point shooters. It's usually drive and kick for, for Caroline and then actions that they run for, for Jazz Johnson. But those are really the two, two main guys. Their best player at the rim, at least according to Hoop Math, uh, we mentioned is Treshawn Thurman, 71% field goal percentage at the rim, which is pretty pretty good for a guy that will face you up, um, that can face you up and drive you. Uh, kind of a difficult matchup for Kavarius Hayes if they post him, I think, just because from what I've seen, Thurman is, is a little bit um, 
you know, he's he his ability to drive is a little different than what Cavarius has faced, but he's certainly not gonna you know be any quicker than Cavarius is as a defensive player. So uh, maybe there's there's some uh, merit to that. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see uh, you know once again to see just what kind of defense Florida plays with, and just to see if um, if they yeah if they might uh, might allow for Cavarius Hayes to switch out and guard some of these isolations, or if they um, try to switch out and have. Uh, have a smaller player guard on the perimeter so that they can keep Kavarius Hayes closer to the rim as a, as a shot blocker. Um, yeah, you could watch, you go on film and watch a whole lot of Nevada isolations this year and see how they space it out and, and, and kind of see how you want to handle it. But um, yeah, the Jazz Johnson, uh, he's a really interesting player. He's kind of the one player that also doesn't have plus size on their team. He's a small guard and I, I really, really like him. But um, I do wonder too to see if Florida tries to attack him a little bit on the defensive end. Not because he's a particularly bad defensive player. I think he moves his feet pretty well. And uh, but yeah, Andrew Nemhart's going to have a lot of size on him, and just should be able to um, uh, should be able to um, pass over the top for him. And um, one of the things that I thought Florida has done, uh, I know I'm definitely circling circling back to Nevada's defense here, but I was just looking at kind of some of some. No, it's important because <laughs> we haven't really we haven't talked too much about Florida attacking. Them. Oh, okay. We, we just said that we kind of feel like they can be a little limited or that maybe their defense is deceptively or, or inflated. You're right. And um, I'm just, yeah, my mind's just coming alive looking at these uh, synergy analytic pages of, of Nevada. So, um, but yeah, it's interesting to watch some of the, uh, something Florida did a little bit earlier in the year. Um, they did it really well against West Virginia, which obviously West Virginia wasn't that good, but um, uh, just kind of uh, to, to attack the kind of switching defense, they do these things that a lot of kind of schematic people in, in basketball call a wedge screen. And what that is, is like when you kind of start by starting kind of a box formation with the four players that don't have the basketball, and then you kind of, um, you, you set this like series of multiple screens to kind of like mess up the switching defense. But what you're essentially doing is setting two different screens for the player who's then going to go screen the basketball. So it's, it's this really congested um, box of screens kind of near the free throw line to free up who's then going to screen for Andrew Demhart. And that, that kind of really can mess with teams that are um, that are switching defenses because uh, by by making them switch so many screens that aren't on the ball, you can kind of make them uh, uh, you can kind of confuse them as to uh, as to who's in a help side position. And they did it really well against West Virginia, where they did these wedge screens. Kavaris Hayes would go set a set a ball screen. Andrew Demhart would come off it, and West Virginia was confused as the whose whose responsibility was to be in help side because they had just rapidly switched like three ball screens in two seconds. And uh, there's things like that that I think you can do to attack switching defenses um, that are pretty interesting. And that's going to be something I, w- I watch for. But uh, yeah, like Neil mentioned before, uh, attacking switching defenses can be a little bit tougher because yeah, a lot of your actions are um, screen for this guy to get this guy loose. And if you, you know, set a screen and they just switch it, it's, it very much changes your, your set. So um, I think that'll be kind of one of the, one of the biggest things Mike White has to figure out. So, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think that, you know, one thing you can do is if you have post with quicker feet, you can sometimes attack them in the post, even though, um, you know, especially because they are just six, seven. So Florida, you know, even if they play Isaiah Stokes a little bit, uh, just, just to have a wrinkle where they can attack the post. And the other guy is obviously Keontae Johnson. I mean, this is why wings are, are so important in the game right now, right? Eric? I mean, totally. You get a guy that, you know, anywhere from, from six, five to, to six, eight and, uh, somebody that, that can come off ball screens and weak side actions and just attack screens or, or sorry, attack switches. Um, 
And, you know, I, so, yeah, I mean, Keontae um, is kind of a guy who can exploit uh, some of what they do. He's, he's a little bit, he's a little bit switch proof, even with bigger guys on him because of his quickness. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm still reminded of, of the game against LSU, both games against LSU, um, where he was just really attacking like Skyler Mays off the dribble, a really good defender. And then he was, uh, um, he got, when he was, had Nas Reed for a lot of the game, the fact that he get by him, I know Nas Reed is, is a big man, but like he moves his feet well and he's, he's strong. So um, for Kamari Says to, or Kamari Says, Johnson Johnson Johnson's <laughs> to be able to take it into him and, and still be able to kind of turn a corner and finish. Like, like th- those were impressive takes and, uh, I think he'll be able to do that against the Martin Twain or, or a Jordan Caroline. And uh, that does make him probably one of the most off, uh, important offensive players in this game. Um, and he's kind of the one that kind of matches the physical profile of, of this game. That's really wing heavy, except I think Deontay Johnson is, is much more athletic than the Martin twins. And I, and I think, you know, a step more athletic than Jordan Caroline. So uh, if he can, if he can be a guy who, who can attack those players in the half court, that might be a Florida needs because, um, you know, like we'll see what we get from Kayvon Allen and, and, and Jalen Hudson, but kind of those guys are a little tougher for to just kind of think like, okay, this is how Florida's going to use them within the scheme of their offense, um, just because of the nature of the players they are. Whereas it's a lot easier to look at, at Keontae Johnson, who's, I would say, a more consistent player, um, and just say like, yeah, this is kind of how they can use them. Right. Yeah. No, uh, all, all excellent points. A couple other statistical numbers I wanted to kind of throw out to people. Um, just just for fun, uh, Florida is 326 in luck. Um, so <laughs> hopefully some things start bouncing their way <laughs> compared yeah. to uh, compared to Nevada, who who is 85th in that uh, in that metric. Um, Florida's 346 in tempo versus a Nevada team that really likes to get out and and go fast. So I was curious as to how Nevada had done against teams that play slower. Um, and what I determined was they had seven games against teams that are 200 or worse in tempo, um, meaning, you know, 200 or, or slower towards the Florida metric. I shouldn't say worse. It's just, it's just a rate of speed. Um, and, and San Diego state, we already mentioned they were one and two against San Diego state. Uh, who's two twenty eighth in tempo. Um, so plays, you know, markedly faster than the Gators do and was two and one. Uh, they did beat air force who plays really slow, but doesn't have anywhere near the athletes that, that Florida has even. It's weird to talk about Florida as being like plus in the athlete category, but um, it's air force. So uh, some one magic number that's really fascinating to me. I'm always interested in these sorts of things is the magic number being 72 um, that Nevada's two and three in games when they, don't score 72 or more points. Um, they, they did score 72 in one of their quad one games against Arizona state, which they won uh, with a huge second half comeback. Nevada's a really good second half team. I think part of that is like being old. And part of that is that when you play the type of offense they play, it really puts pressure on a defense for 40 minutes, which is one argument for like Eric Musselman fans, right? Is that, you know, you kind of attack mismatches for 40 minutes and eventually the dam breaks. Um, but yeah, so not the greatest team when you can control tempo, which interestingly is kind of in a strength for Florida this season, hasn't it? It really has. And that's, uh, that's something that people should be encouraged by. And I mean, I know a lot of people are, are not really stoked to this match for Florida. And 
I mean, hey, when it's a seven ten game, you know, the seven should have a bit of an advantage, right? Um, but there, but yeah, like the, I, I do think that a lot of these things kind of go in Florida's favor. Just um, uh, Florida, not a great offensive team, but the way that Nevada kind of plays defense, I think, gives them an op- gives Florida a chance. And uh, though I would say Nevada's offense is is very unique, just because of um, how much isolation they run with the personnel they run, Florida really hasn't seen anything like it. Um, I do think that there's a chance that, uh, yeah, that, that Florida is kind of able to really stack up and do well against that. And then, yeah, you added what Neil said. Um, Florida can kind of dictate tempo and has done that against a lot of teams that wanted to play fast and it's usually been in Florida's favor. So um, I do think that this is a, this is a pretty, yeah, this is a pretty intriguing matchup and, and one that I, I think has a lot more of a feel of like a, uh, of a more prototypical like eight, nine game versus a seven game. <laughs> um, Ken Palm has it as a, as a one point Nevada win. Um, I know that yesterday, right after the right after the bracket was announced, Florida was a one and a half point favorite in Vegas, which is pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the more I, I started being a little bit worried about this matchup just because of the talent I know is on um, on Nevada. But yeah, the more you look, the more I looked at the numbers, the more I uh, the more I kind of watched them this morning as I was ripping through some film, and uh, I, I definitely am starting to like this matchup more and more for the Gators. So you know, it's interesting. I mean, and and the other thing is. Win, win Cincinnati. Good job, Neil. Um, win Nevada has uh, has played high level teams in the last two years. It's it's been close games. They haven't really run anyone that that you know is a high level power six opponent out of out of the gym. They, like I said, they erased a, they basically erased a fourteen point deficit to Arizona State in a game earlier this year, and we see Arizona State now as a play in team. So a team that is kind of a little less good than Florida, uh, at least in the eyes of the committee, um, but certainly has NBA caliber players where as Florida probably has one and Keontae Johnson right now, and maybe Andrew Nimhard. Um, but either way, it's neither here nor there. Point being, um, my dog just got mad at the mailman. <laughs> uh, apologies to everyone who heard my dog get mad at the mailman. Um, so what was I saying? Oh, just that they don't, they don't run people out and, and Florida really has had, I think three games this season where they haven't been competitive. So it's going to be a close game. Look, all three of Nevada's tournament, all three of Nevada's tournament games last year were one possession games. Uh, they went to overtime with Texas in a seven ten. Then they beat Cincinnati in that upset. Um, basically because they could speed Cincinnati up a little bit. And oh my dog, <laughs> he's very mad at the mailman. See what his deal well, is. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, um, I that's one thing that that you know it's something we talk about that when these games are close, a lot of times it, it comes down to who can get a bucket one on one. And as we've talked about all podcasts, uh, Nevada does really well at scoring one on one, and I think that that really helps them actually in these kind of tight tournament scenarios. It was really big for them last year um, in that turn run where, like you said, all these games were close. And uh, that is the one thing that is, is quite concerning for, for from a Gator standpoint is that, um, yeah, if this game comes down to a possession or two, uh, they have multiple guys that are really, really good at getting their own shot and hitting it. And Florida doesn't have as many of those guys. So if this game comes down to, you know, Florida's up one, but Nevada has the basketball in one shot and it's, it's, uh, it's Cody Martin up against Kayvon Allen and, uh, Ed Martin has, you know, five inches and a really smooth mid-range jump <laughs> shot. He can get off about anyone. 
um, you know, that, that, that game could definitely go in favor of Nevada. So, so that is, that is something that you, that I think is interesting that you mentioned that they, uh, they, they have, they did win a lot of these close games, which um, in one hand says, uh, yeah, like, Hey, they're in a lot of these close games. And that's something when you look at their Mountain West schedule, that there was just way more kind of tight games than there needed to be um, relative to that league. Uh, but they can also win these tight games because they're really built to do that. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention is, is that, um, a couple things just from the trend line, thanks to Haslam metrics is that Nevada tends to tends to do worse when they play teams that are, are good at three point defense. Um, which I mean, you'd expect for a team that, that really relies efficiency wise, they do take a large volume of three point shots, even though they're not tremendous at hitting them because they have some erratic shooters. Um, they do draw fouls at a pretty high rate, but that can be deceptive because of the league that they play in. They just, and in fact, in the two games, there are two quad one games where there are two uh, games where they shot their fourth lowest and their lowest number of free throws, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and then uh, they've been about, on average, about six points worse, a basketball team um, away from the friendly confines arena, which actually ranks them 324th in home away disparity, according to the hassle metrics. So they're not quite as good a basketball team when they venture away from uh, Reno, whereas Florida uh, is one of the stronger teams in the country in that metric, uh, both good and bad, right? <laughs> right. If only, if only the Gators played a little bit better at home, they, they might not be a 10 seed. Um, so, uh, and again, apologies to people for the, uh, for the interruption there from, from my dog. I don't know why he got so okay. mad. Um, anyway, so, yeah, I mean, look, I think a really intriguing game. Um, one thing I'll say about Florida, you know, playing some old and that's this good in, in, in games down the stretch and kind of has that isolation advantage late in games that Eric talked about is, you know, the Gators are old too. So, um, it, you know, as much talk as there is about three freshmen, Florida, Florida has three seniors that are going to be fighting for their careers. So, and I don't think that there's really any intangible edge. Uh, to, to Nevada for being this good. And I, I actually think Florida's, you know, I think there's an argument Florida's playing better basketball in entering the NCAA tournament. I definitely think so. I mean, uh, you, again, you look at, uh, yeah, you look at their, their, they got beat pretty well by, by San Diego state. And yes, they were missing Jordan Caroline, but you know, San Diego state, not anywhere near the tournament. So uh, at Florida started to play some of their best basketball. It's uh, in the SEC tournament. Um, even though yeah, they turned the ball over way too much against Auburn, but I would say that it was probably a little bit encouraging the fact that Auburn went out and just dominated the finals against Tennessee <laughs> after Florida played really badly and was still within a possession. So, uh, and yeah, you mentioned just kind of some of the like intangible kind of things. I mean, um, obviously in Des Moines, I would say that's about as neutral of a site as you could get between, yeah. uh, between Florida and, and Nevada. Um, so that's uh, that kind of helps. Uh, you know, definitely we're hoping for that Jacksonville uh, Jacksonville pod for uh, for the home court advantage a bit. But hey, it's uh, it's Iowa. Hopefully, some Gators can get out there. Um, but yeah, and uh, I, I just uh, I, I do think that, like you said, in terms of just like X factory things with seniors, uh, I do think that yeah, Florida just needs to have Kayvon Allen and Jalen Hudson play good in this game, and they have been erratic. And um, I think if if Jalen Hudson can uh, can play under control and not turn the ball over and not shoot um, a bunch of really bad runners, um, <laughs> as I you know my least favorite shot in his arsenal slash basketball, um, I believe he's down to twenty one percent on floaters this year. Nice, um, excellent. 
without getting, you know, without drawing fouls, because that's what the floater is. And he shot a bunch of them in the SEC tournament still. But, but yeah, I mean, he should be able to to get some uh, to attack the paint against some of the Martin twins. And, and Kayvon Allen should have some matchups where he can he can get in the paint. I think Andrew Nembhardt will be able to uh, to get in the paint a little bit against Jazz Johnson and, and be able to make some plays with his passing ability. And uh, some things will have to break right for the Gators. But I, I mean, I, I think this is a this is a really good matchup and. Uh, and it's one that uh, that Florida can certainly take, but it's one. But I mean, I still have a lot of respect for for Nevada, and uh, they're the higher seed for a reason. And uh, and there's a chance that their just um, ability to score one on one brings it home for them. Yeah, I mean, I think that sums it up. Um, they're about where you'd expect them to be for a seven ten game in metrics. They, the Haslam metrics actually have Florida as a better team at thirty two versus thirty four, but that's negligible. Um, basically, no real difference. Uh, Ken Palm, same thing, 25 to 28 with Nevada ahead. The only real disparity is the way it ends up getting seeded pretty much is the BPI basketball percentage index has it Nevada number 20 and Florida number 30, but also really disfavors Nevada's schedule, uh, which we've, which we've talked about. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, not to be cliche about it, but it's kind of a classic seven, 10 game. 10 seeds are usually, flawed in some respect and 17s are usually beatable in some respect and so uh that's kind of where it'll be in des moines iowa i did want to answer one listener question that we got kind of late out of the blue after the auburn game and I, I know i mentioned on on twitter that that we would answer it and it's from bobby glenn who just asked if andrew nimhard is overrated uh, yeah, I think the question was, is Andrew and Nimhart overrated? You know, I think he's had a pretty good year for a freshman, Bobby says, but his shot seems a little broken. He can't really drive, and he's not quick defensively. I mean, I suppose it would just matter um, kind of who's – like, if, to say someone is overrated, I guess I just guess it matters, like, who is the uh, the person – uh, doing the overrating of is it because um, yeah he's got a lot of uh, kind of big time fans that uh, that really love him and then you know there's also but there's also some guys that you know, yeah like we're thinking he might go one and done and I was one of them so maybe I'm one of the ones to overrate him I don't think he's going one and done now um, but I mean yeah like I mean you see like does the shot look broken um, it's not a great looking shot but I mean he's shooting 34 percent I think it's improved so, a lot this year too yeah and I mean does he turn the ball over a lot um, he's you know what? To be honest, I don't actually think he turns the ball over a ton. And I know I'm coming off an Auburn game where he definitely did. But uh, like, just think about the the pure amount of time that he's got the got the ball in his hands. Um, I don't think he it's like his turnover problems are that like egregious. Just because I mean, look at like look at the amount of times he's got the ball in his hands. And look at the fact that honestly, Florida is not a great offensive team, and he's got he's kind of burdened with creating a whole lot of offense. And um, for a guy that doesn't create a lot for himself, and I do think that's definitely a limitation. Um, a limitation of his game is that he's not great. Um, he's not great on his own. Um, but I mean, if we're talking, if we're talking turnover problems, I mean, he had, he's only averaging two turnovers a game, which for the amount that he kind of has the basketball, um, I, I think that that's not bad at all. And I mean, he's got as many, he's got the identical turnover amount to Kayvon Allen and uh, Kayvon Allen has the ball in his hands a lot less than Andrew Nembhard does and doesn't have as many assists as Andrew Nembhard has. So, um, is he overrated? I mean, I, I don't really know what his like general consensus is, if that makes sense, uh, to know if he's overrated. <laughs> because I think a lot of people are kind of like, yeah, they, they love Andrew Nemart, but they also, you know, they think he's coming back for a year or two more. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't really, I just don't know how, uh, how rated he kind of is in the general eyes, I guess. Uh, I'm curious what your thought is. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if, you know, I don't know enough about Utah State to say whether they have a better point guard. Um, so I'd say for the game that they're that's about to be played, um, you know, there's an argument he's the best point guard that, that they're going to have seen. Uh, just like Zylan Cheatham was the best forward that they'd seen, and, and he scored 24 points on them, right? So uh, I'm not comparing the two. I'm just pointing out that, you know, He's a pretty good basketball player. And, and, you know, yeah, I mean, I've always kind of looked at him, and and that's – if you've listened to the podcast all year, you know I've always thought he's he's at least a two-year guy, maybe a three-year guy, just because I think he has things to improve on offensively. The one thing I'll say about can't drive is, like, I'm less convinced of that over the last month of the season. Like, I think Andrew's gotten way better at diagnosing creases and then just being more confident to finish at the rim. And we saw that – you know, multiple critical buckets against LSU. Got a really important basket against Auburn late in the game. Um, and he, he did that off the bounce. So, you know, I think if you can, you can get him and use his size, uh, that's valuable. And the other thing that he does, like we talked about his, his quickness defensively on the perimeter. And I think I texted you this, Eric, but I feel like his size and his ability to defend fundamentally sound makes him kind of a useful guard defensively for teams that have, you know, these kind of wings that they like to post. I mean, it's impossible to guard Nasrid, and Andrew Nimhard did as valiant a job as you can, I think, in the LSU game. Uh, he had some matchups in the Arkansas game like that. So his versatility um, is, I think, underrated, if anything. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's hard to make an overrated assessment of him. I guess the, the question is, is he really like a five-star caliber guard? And I'd say, yeah, I think he was accurately uh, assessed. Yeah, I mean, I would say there's a whole lot of five-star players that weren't as good as Andrew Nembhardt this year. Like uh, like I, EJ uh, Montgomery. <laughs> right. And uh, so, yeah, uh, I just don't think that there's a whole lot of people out there saying, like, oh, Andrew Nembhardt's incredible. He's Florida's best player. He's, you know, like one and done. Because, uh, you know, then, yeah, he'd maybe be overrated. But, um, yeah, I, I honestly think <laughs> – I think he might be underrated by a lot of people because – uh, when you hear, you know, it's still whenever you go see a game on ESPN or something of the Gators, it's, um, it's oh, Kayvon Allen leads the way. It's, oh, Jalen <laughs> Hudson is finally starting to come around. And it's, right. oh, watch Keontae Johnson dunk. And, like, it's Andrew Nemhardt is usually not a central really piece of, unless it's Jimmy Dykes, who, you know, is, I really like Jimmy Dykes, and he always kind of can see a lot of the subtlety of, yeah, of his game. Good. But, I mean, in terms of those kind of, like, pregame hype packages, it's not like Andrew Nemhardt is, like, the face of the Florida Gators by any means. And to be honest, I think he could be the face of the Florida Gators. Um, I do think he's one of the most important players. So there's part of me that even thinks he's underrated, which I hope doesn't um, not trying to just anger who the, the, the guy who asked the question, of course. No, I think, I, was think a, I think it was a really good question, but it was an honest question. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, it wasn't cynical. Right. Oh, oh, that's yeah. I didn't think so. But, that's why but, we're yeah. answering it on air. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, here's another thing that I'll say, and I know we probably spent way more time on this question than, than you expected. <laughs> Um, I think Andrew Nemhart has been a far more important Gator than Jalen Hudson and Kayvon Allen on a whole lot of games this, this year. I would say that. I think he's – I don't know if I would overarchingly say he is more important than Kayvon Allen, but there's certainly been a whole lot of games this year where he has played better than Kayvon Allen and um, has been a lot more key than Kayvon, than Kayvon Allen. And um, there's probably a lot of people that Kayvon Allen think – or that think that Kayvon Allen is far and away the best Gator um, if, you, if a lot of people are kind of picking their MVPs. And um, – I think Andrew Nembhardt should make that discussion um, at least kind of interesting. So I, I will add that. Yeah, no, I like it. Uh, I think that's a that's a fair way to 
to kind of cap off that listener question. Last last one that we'll just throw out to people. Just give me two games that you're really looking forward to in the in the first round. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I would say in terms of just kind of uh, viewing pleasure, um, I would say that the biggest potential upset I see, just in terms of uh, in terms of seed, uh, would be UC Irvine um, over uh, over Kansas State. Kansas State is one of those teams that kind of plays really slow and, and kind of gives people uh, kind of opportunities to uh, to get back into the game. And I thought something was pretty interesting when I heard a podcast around a month ago and. Uh, you see Ryan's coach pointed said something that at first you were like, wait, what? And then um, then as soon as he said it, you realize it's like, oh, no, it's totally true. And, and he was like, you know what? I think UC Irvine is the best, uh, is the best uh, college team in California. And at first I was like, wait, what the heck? But then you look at it and you look at all the metrics. I mean, <laughs> they're better than UCLA. They're better than USC. They're better than Stanford. Uh, you know, like yeah. they're, they're, the, they're the best of all those kind of Cal schools in, in the system. And uh, you look at the metrics and uh, UC Irvine is a team that I've kind of just um, – really grown to uh, grown to love and that's uh i think they kind of just any any team that plays slow i think opens themselves up to the possibility of getting upset a little more than um than some other teams so uh yeah a uc Irvine team that defends really really well and has a guard is big max hazard which i absolutely love um that can really shoot the ball and, and kind of get hot uh, that's a game that i think that's uh i you know i haven't actually filled up my bracket yet but uh, I'm going to look long and hard for uh, for UC Irvine to, to maybe upset Kansas State. So that's one I, I'm looking forward to for sure. And then another one that I would say just in terms of um, probably just viewing pleasure. Um, you know what? Actually, okay, I'm not entirely sure how good this viewing pleasure will be, uh, but Utah State and Washington is kind of the 8-9 game I think is the most interesting. Um, yeah, it's a really because, interesting game. Just because, yeah, Washington has this 2-3 zone that Syracuse-esque, and um, yeah, that can really confuse some teams. And uh, that's, that's yeah. kind of what the zone – and it, it's a little bit of – you know, the zone is like a knuckleball. Sometimes it just works and just completely confuses your opponent. And, and sometimes teams just figure it out and, um, and are incredible against it. And Utah State is a team that's just been so good offensively this year that I'm just really, really, really intrigued to see what they uh, can kind of dial up against the zone because, uh, yeah, you've got this really good defensive zone and, and Matisse Thibault, uh, just really good, really good defensive player at the top of that zone. Um, but then, yeah, you've got you've got Sam Barrow and you've got Justin Bean and, and Elias Kada and these players that I really really like offensively on Utah State and uh, yeah, that's so so that's going to be a fun one. Yeah, I think those are good answers, um, and and it's cool that there's like actually like two of the eight nine games this year, and I know I'm on record on this podcast talking about how eight nine games are the bane of my existence. Like it's the closest I come to to disliking something about the NCAA tournament because it's usually just two power six teams that aren't that good. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I, you know, I really think that's interesting. And I think Syracuse Baylor is a really interesting game uh, just because, you know, styles make fights and Baylor is such an efficient offensive team versus that, you know, two, three. And I'll tell you what, if I'm a Gonzaga fan, like I don't want to play that two, three zone. It's just so many things can go wrong in one 40 minute segment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just feel like I just like feel like Syracuse and Washington are either going to get just absolutely hammered or they're going to go go to the sweet like, team. The sweet sixteen, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so that makes them kind of interesting to watch. Yeah. So uh, one one I'd add, uh, you know, I think everybody's talked about New Mexico State and Auburn. I think really challenging for Auburn, um, not just because New Mexico State is like mid major Auburn, um, although they are, and they're old, uh, which also you know tends to matter in March. Um, the games at altitude and Auburn is playing 
uh, you know, basically they get three days rest after playing on Sunday. I don't think the committee should do that. I think Auburn's underseeded, and and that's just a rough draw for both those teams. Um, and I didn't think the committee made many errors, but I think that'll be a really fun game to watch. Uh, the other one I really want to watch, uh, I'm like, when I fill out my ballot, uh, ballot, when I fill out my bracket, I'll, uh, I'll have to consider, you know, like the statistical value of picking a 14-3 upset. Um, and Eric's going to laugh at this, and listeners might too, because I've been so high on them all year. State is just a disastrous matchup for Houston. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's, interesting. It's a disastrous matchup. Um, I mean, you got really quick guards. Georgia State has wings that can attack the basket uh, and, and, and rebound. And yeah, Georgia State shoots a three at about a 37% clip. Um, so they can kind of offset Houston's quickness. They can hit the three-point shot, and they get fouled at a really high rate. Uh, I, you know, 14 seeds seem kind of unkind to a program that's been to the NCAA tournament seven of the last nine years, but I guess that's what you get when you play in that league. And to be fair, Georgia State has like come close to beating power six teams all season and hasn't done it. So maybe I'm a little too high on Ron Hunter's chair and I just want him to like Ron Hunter and I just want him to fall out of his chair again. But um, yeah. All right. So I lost you there for right after Ron Hunter's chair. <laughs> oh, you lost me. Yeah. So yeah, I just, sorry. I was, uh, it's okay. I was just saying that, you know, maybe I'm too high on Georgia state. Cause if you look at like their, their like chances to beat elite teams this year, they've basically just come up a little short in those games um, other than clobbering Georgia tech. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's a tough matchup for Houston, and I'm actually really looking forward to watching that game. And Wofford-Seton Hall was going to be my other one. Yeah, that I mean, I it's weird because I kind of wanted Florida to play Wofford in a, in a 7-10 game, but also like really didn't want to see Wofford at all uh, just because of how efficient they are offensively. Um, but yeah, it's just the chance to see Wofford in this tournament is going to be awesome. And, uh, and the one everyone's talking about, too, that we'll just mention, because to be honest, I don't think this is as fun as – a lot of people think, but it's definitely Marquette and Murray State, just because you do have uh, John Morant and, and Marcus Howard, and that's pretty fun. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I still am not like like I, I really like John Morant, no question. Um, nothing wrong with that. But I, 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 in terms of Murray State as a as a team, I'm not like maybe as intrigued as, as a lot of others. Um, but yeah, they really have a guy in Shaq Buchanan who's a really really good defensive guard. That'll be really interesting to see like if he guards Marcus Howard and, and he can make his life tough. If John Morant can uh, can win, if John Morant can be awesome and Shaq Buchanan can kind of slow down Marcus Howard, I think we might have ourselves a little bit of an interesting game. But uh, yeah, I think you tweeted about you know talking about how um, you know the committee claims to not care about matchups and like <laughs> the intrigue of them. But uh, I think that they I don't know. There's there'd be a whole lot of coincidences in this bracket, such as Rick Pitino's son playing against Louisville. And uh, and matching up, you know, Marcus Howard and, and John Morant in this game, yeah, they, it just it'll make for some fun ones. But I know that we've now mentioned like ten matchups after uh, you asked for two. No, no, I mean it's fine. I don't think the listeners really care because it's the end of the show, and you know everybody <laughs> everybody loves March Madness. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I mean Murray's. Well, one thing there were two things fun about Murray State Marquette was one was everybody like rushing to pick Murray State to win, um, <laughs> like ignoring that, you know. 
Marcus Howard plays for Marquette, and so they have an explosive guy too. Uh, and then two, just such great production work by the selection show. I don't know if you got to watch, but they did they did such a good job with Marquette because they stayed on Marquette <laughs> until their matchup was announced. And so it was like joy and jubilation. Like we got this five seed that, you know, we basically earned our five seed by like piling up quad one victories from November to January because <laughs> they did not play well in February. And, right. um, and so they're all pumped about the five seed and then Murray state comes out and you could just see like their faces go from jubilation to, Oh gosh. Yeah. That was, that was excellent. That was good television. Yeah. And I, I, once, yeah, once again, I'm pretty sure that they, uh, they knew a reaction like that was coming in. Right. So. Yeah. I That's think really like kind of wants to see some of these interesting matchups and hey, I'm, yeah. I'm okay with it. <laughs> it's beautiful, beautiful from the production team to be like, let's stay on them because we know that Murray State is coming. Um, yeah, I mean, that's uh, I haven't filled my bracket out yet. I'm not going to take a shot at, at a whole final four. I will say, I think Tennessee is going to the final four. Um, so there's my one hot take that I'll offer. Uh, you know, I, I really like the draw for Tennessee. Um, I think Mick Crone in Cincinnati is like a bad version of Tennessee. Not bad, but not as good. So I don't think that Tennessee will have too much problem with them in the second round. And, um, you know, Purdue could potentially give Tennessee trouble. As, and Villanova, of course, is Villanova. But that Sweet 16 game doesn't terrify me um, for the Vols for, for the reasons that Purdue can be pretty beatable when they don't make shots. And, um, and this isn't Villanova from, from years before. So that's kind of the one bracket I've looked at uh, and, and kind of decided that I feel like Tennessee, Virginia could just be a heavyweight fight in the, in the Elite Eight. And maybe I like Tennessee just a little more. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that. And I think that their bracket really did break well for them. So uh, my, my hot take. Um, it's potentially going to be hotter on this podcast than, um, than any other <laughs> podcast I could be on. Um, but, man, I really like Florida State, and I think that Florida State has an opportunity to, uh, to go pretty deep in this tournament. So, uh, I, you know, I, at a four seed, I think that they're a little bit better than, than some of the threes. And uh, I kind of like how their matchups break to, to go deep. So, uh, uh, you know. And they've beaten Gonzaga I, <laughs> in the NCAA tournament before. So. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I would say my – again, I haven't filled in my bracket yet. I, I, that's kind of my, my process is I feel like if I do it too quickly after the bracket is kind of announced, I will, like, be too emotional. So by, like, waiting a few days, um, yeah, it just kind of, like, lets me kind of, like, settle down and, like, not emotionally pick upsets or something. Um, and, also yeah, I just was so, <laughs> and also I was just so excited to just, like, start watching some Nevada film. And, uh, and today, uh, you know, I think I'm just going to go work on my uh, – work on a piece for Gator Country and kind of preview that. But uh, – uh, yeah, I think when I uh, when I fill up my bracket, I mean, I think I think I'm going to have Florida State uh, uh, and make it a good run here. Yeah, I think Leonard Hamilton's best chance at a Final Four. Um, they they lose a lot next season. <laughs> yeah, this will be the last chance uh, for a little bit. A lot. Um, so yeah, and, uh, yeah, they'll be competitive next year, but we we don't need to burn that bridge right now. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's our show, uh, Florida. Joins Kentucky as the only SEC schools to have qualified for the last three NCAA tournaments. Florida joins Kentucky as the only SEC schools to qualify for eight NCAA tournaments uh, this decade, which of course closes this year. Um, and Florida will, will close the decade with at least uh, five appearances in the Elite Eight, which um, is the second most nationally, third most nationally behind Kansas and Kentucky. So 
a pretty good decade for Florida basketball, even though we're talking about their rival uh, potentially going to the Final Four at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I, I would say, I, I mean, I just, okay, let me just say, I just loved the moment you tweeted out that um, how, how Mike White became the, uh, the first coach to uh, take a team to the NCAA tournament during the first four years. I thought that was just wonderful of you to do, and I uh, loved the reaction to it. That was just great. But um, yeah, hey, uh, <laughs> it's not if we want to get talking too much past, uh, you know, too much past Nevada, too much past this NCAA tournament. Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty proud of uh, pretty proud of where the program is right now. And for you talking about the decade that Florida had, uh, it's just kind of interesting because you know Florida had that really rough year, um, Billy Donovan's last year, and then you know missed the tournament the next year. Um, but it's just crazy to think that even with that, like how successful of a decade it was for for Florida basketball is is very cool. And uh, yeah, I'd say things are looking pretty good going forward. All right, everybody, thanks for uh, joining us. And, and, you know, we'll be back either way, uh, win or lose. Um, but hopefully we'll be talking about uh, a second-round game against Montana. <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, I'll maybe start watching film now. Um, yeah, <laughs> Go, was... Grizzlies. Go See Grizzlies. You <laughs> See you all later. All right, I appreciate